Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. My name is Lucy, and I am here with Alice today. Hello, Alice. I like that you say Alice today, like it's not usually me. Like, like it's not always us. Yeah. Sorry <laughs> to talk to Alice today. Or, or is it that I've bothered to turn up? Um, <laughs> well, <either or. laughs> I'm all right. How thanks. are you? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you, Liz? Good. I'm all right. Thank you. Not too bad. I've said before in previous episodes, life is getting back to normal. I'm busy again, and I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's actually like a lie-in, but there we go. I did no hear a thing on the news recently where they're sort of saying something like. 50% of businesses are saying that they're not expecting all of their workers to start going back into the office yeah. like when the world opens up again so I think it, there is going to be an element of the new of a new normal things are going to be different um I work from home anyway so yeah me too it makes bugger all difference to me <laughs> I, I quite like being able to, to come downstairs and just roll to the kitchen table and there is everything mm. you know rather than having to wait for security to let me in well <laughs> security to let me in meaning two bulldogs sat at the bottom of the stairs <laughs> you have to give them the special password of biscuits before you can go past <laughs> exactly yeah yeah uh loose do you want to introduce our guest for today yeah so our guest uh for this week's episode is dr paul dark i know uh, me and paul go way way back because as i was saying to alice before we started recording this episode um when i was at university i was writing a dissertation on disability representation in the media very on brand for me uh we got myself in a right old flap because i thought i don't know what i'm doing uh, and managed to find paul's details on the internet got in touch with him and we've been friends ever since he sent me a load of um resources and stuff and helped me write my dissertation so thank you very much paul he's been a great supporter of mine uh from the get-go um and he's very kindly agreed to join us on our podcast today so welcome paul uh, thank you for inviting me and it's always been a pleasure to support you fabulous oh it's lovely to lovely to see you paul um so paul do you want to tell um, the listeners a bit about yourself please a bit about myself well i suppose there's quite a lot i could talk about but i think you know i i'm, I'm nearly 60 so that's the first thing which is <laughs> explains all the gray beard and i know no one can see this but uh, there's an awful lot of gray there's there. distinguishedness <laughs> to your voice paul Abs absolutely well that's very nice of you to say so uh, <laughs> but i was uh, i was i've got i i have spina bifidocephalus i'm a wheelchair user uh, I'm originally from Surrey, although I now live in Wolverhampton, and uh, I went to a, a couple of special boarding schools. In fact, my first boarding school was solely for people with spina bifida, wow. which, is, uh, that is which is quite, 
that is specialist. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore for whatever reason. We can talk about that a bit later. And then after that, I went to a local comprehensive for one year, which utterly did my head in uh, <laughs> because having been in a special Molly Codlin sort of school where I had no qualifications, I left with no qualifications. Uh, I think we were just being warehoused till we died. Uh, so uh, because, you know, spina bifida, the, the general conception was as you would die by the age of about 15. So that's what my parents expected. So I've, I've lived a little bit longer than uh, most people expected. And so then I went to this uh, comprehensive, which was completely inaccessible. Maths was on the top of the fourth floor. I used to walk a bit on crutches and it was an absolute nightmare. And I, I always say uh, I couldn't wait to give up crutches because uh, walking on crutches, I felt like a cripple. In a wheelchair, I just looked like one. So, uh, <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> so I, I couldn't wait to give up walking. And it was one of the joys of life because it, it was also a punishment at my uh, special schools. We, we had cushions uh, uh, pinned to our bums to protect our uh, posteriors. And we were forced to go on crutches. And if we were caught in a wheelchair, because we all tried to sleep, you'd get punished by being sent to bed early. And it was a, it was a religious school as well. It was, oh. uh, I know you said um, you're a little bit older, Paul, but it sounds like you went to school in the 1840s. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, it, well, the irony is it cost the local authority more to send me there than it would have done to send me to Eton, uh, which... Uh, Jesus! <laughs> and uh, so... It, it was uh, it was it was a unique experience again, but actually, it's it, and that's one of the ironies of life. I, I'm against segregated schools. I'm against uh, kind of marginalising disabled children. But and and again, I'm quite glad I went there because mm. uh, I had I grew up with four brothers, and I think if I'd have gone to the local comprehensive like they had, we were a very poor working class family, even in Surrey, lived on a big council estate. They all failed at school. I would have failed at school, uh, probably ended up in a fairly menial job. But actually not having an education enabled you to think for yourself uh, and to survive and thrive in a way. So I used to come home for the summer holidays and my brothers were four boys, much older than me, very aggressive. I remember one of my brothers trying to stab me and I had to jump out the front window oh once. God, <laughs> and uh, they they did that quite a lot to one another. We were quite an aggressive because we were just five boys, and so <laughs> but I, actually, there's, there's like roughhousing and play fighting, and the casual. Oh, my brother tried to stab me. I had to throw myself out a window. I'm not sure that's that's just kind of casual boys being boys. Paul, I'll be honest. <laughs> the worst my sister's ever done it well and continues to occasionally do is she'll let me chase around the house and then go and sit halfway up the stairs so I can't <laughs> get out of which is both genius and a bit mean to be honest but... is, is Sophie older or younger than you younger yeah yeah younger. yeah can that's it that's it <laughs> see I'm the oldest and so I I am constantly I'm kind of used to having that slightly sort of you're the craft. bully you're the bully <laughs> no and I'm used to having the the crafty younger sibling who takes complete advantage of you and is and I always think you know we're we're the pancake children we're the the first ones to throw away 
whereas uh, yeah, my brother, yeah. who I don't think listens, but his missus listens, um, definitely has uh, done very well for himself if he does say so himself. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> It builds anyway. character, though. It builds character <laughs> when you're, you've got siblings doing that to you. So, for example, a lot of the other people I went to school with who were often only child, yeah. only children, they, they, they gave up living pretty much very quickly, uh, ended up in institutions. You know, they couldn't face the rough and tumble of life to some extent. So, uh, I mean, uh, I am eternally grateful to my brothers for persecuting me <laughs> <laughs> for trying to stab you <laughs> you know because it does it, it makes you think for yourself do stuff for yourself and and uh and want to get out of it i was gonna say you've got to be sort of excuse the phrase quick on your feet haven't you <laughs> in constant fear of being stabbed <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, you know, we, we used to play sport together. And, 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 and again, the other thing about going to a special school like that, we, we played sports. If I'd have gone to Compton, and I like sport. So mm. if I'd have gone to Compton, I never would have played sport. But as a, as a group of disabled people, with we had a football team with people on crutches, always two wheelchairs in goal. And we played, we played normal schools, in quotes. Yeah. And these normal kids, we, so we, this is like from when we were 12, 13, 14. And these middle school children would come up to play us, not knowing what they were expecting. And you could see the terror on their faces of being confronted by these people. And we used to have steel crutches in there. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you sound like a mafia boss, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like a supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets worse because the second uh, special school I went to, which was Trelaws, which is quite famous, and it was all boys at the time. And, and that was really violent. That was an incredibly violent school. And I remember, and that was multiple impairment, mixed boys uh, and the primary group were hem haemophiliacs. And the kind of the haemophiliacs hated the, hated the congenitals and the congenitals hated the haemophiliacs. Oh, my God. It's like but, gang but warfare. The, <laughs> but the haemophiliacs <laughs> used to beat the living shit out of one another and put each other in hospital. Because if you, if you can't haemophiliacs... And it was just dreadful. But then we used to do that as well. I remember <laughs> having a fight with a with the Tom Tom Morton, his name was, and he had no arms and no legs as the leader might. And I and I, I was sitting there kneeing him in the head, primarily <laughs> because he's trying to bite me, because that's all he could do. And and he, he had one hell of a bite. I he had you, one hell of a bite. Alice, I tell you, disabled people can be really horrible to one another. It's 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 a common myth that we all get on. <laughs> I, I hated the second one because, and again, it had a higher academic level as well. Yeah. Because it had a history of academia, and I'd not done that. So I, I focused on the sport. And, and uh, the, the that's where people. I got fat. <laughs> well, you know, that was that was the boys. It was run like a public school, so there were prefects. I beat the prefect in our dorm once at Table Tennis, <laughs> and I had to clean toilets for a week, you know, because uh. he didn't like the fact that I'd beaten him. And it was. Uh, it was a very strange place, but I, the problem was, and that was the beginning of, I had a bit of a breakdown then because of the academic stuff. And it was so violent compared to my first school, which yeah. was very nice. And we were sort of left in the corner and uh, I started eating there. So that's where I first got fat. <laughs> but I made, I made some of my best friends. Uh, this guy called Adam Bowley is dead now. And uh, he was one of my best friends. And we, we had a, we used to sneak off at uh, lunchtime and buy sausage rolls, cherry aid and, and matches and go in the woods and burn stuff. Oh, my 
Paul, I would quite happily join you for uh, cherry aid and uh, sausage rolls, but you can buy the matches yourself. That's that's down to you. You 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 do the matches. I'll have the sausage rolls and the cherry aid. <laughs> it was but it, they, they, those bits were fun, but it was. Uh, and then I went to the comprehensive, and that that was that was an absolute nightmare because everybody grown up knowing one another. Yeah. Through through you know the local schools, I knew no one. I, it's funny, I still got a, one friend who I still speak to from there as well. And uh, but I but the irony was is my only O level, and it is literally my only O level from that era, mm. was before opening time because I was seventeen. I had my mobility allowance, and so I used to go in register. The first class was government and politics. And then I would go to the pub, get pissed, and go home and sleep. <laughs> nice one. This, this is not when when Lucy said to me, "Oh, I think we should get Doctor Paul Dark on." This... You thought it was going to be serious. I, think, I didn't think this is what we'd be talking about today. I think we're going to have a trigger warning up the top of this: extreme <laughs> child on child violence. <laughs> I am. Um... Yeah, no, I. You can see why we get on, can't we? Can't you really? Uh, I went to a a, a a school that was for people with disabilities, and I think Paul, looking back, I do kind of wish that um I could have gone to a mainstream school, especially to do my exams. And mm. I think at the time when I was doing my exams, it was all about the inclusion thing was was at the forefront of people's minds, and. Mm. I remember being told by a teacher that I was a prime candidate to go to a mainstream school, but me being a sulky teenager went, I don't want to leave, all my mates are here. <laughs> uh, looking back now, I wish I could, I wish that the 30-something-year-old me could have gone, think about this, Lucy. <laughs> Will you think about this, please? And uh, You know, just because your mates are here, just go and, you know, get some proper qualification because actually when I lost my job a few years ago I was going through my CV and I was going through the, the all my uh, qualifications and the amount of qualifications that aren't worth the paper they're written on like it means nothing to nobody that I can cross the road you know uh, adequately using a pedestrian caution and things like that well like wh that is no use to anybody and if I'd have gone to a mainstream setting all right, would have been a bit awkward, but I would have probably had a lot more. I'm not saying that my education, you know, my education at the school I went to was bad, but I think I would have got a lot more out of it if I'd have had, if I'd have gone. Do you know what? I will go and do my GCSEs. You see, somewhere else, please. I went to a mainstream school, and you know, and look at you now. <laughs> <laughs> well. You've got your own podcast and everything. But you could take that as being good or bad as it's going <laughs> exactly. up to you. Um, it's, it's, and one of the things I think, so I, I went to a mainstream school, but then more recently I have done some volunteering at a quote-unquote special school for kids with learning difficulties primarily, but obviously there's kids there with lots of really complex and multiple needs. And that school is amazing. It is yeah. Yeah, there's 12, kid, 12 kids to a class and five adults in each classroom. So there's a, te there's like a, a teacher and then there's classroom assistants. It's all on the ground floor. Everything's accessible. It's just, it is a thing of beauty. And I think mm. the, the level of engagement that those kids are getting means that whatever you're teaching them 
is going to be delivered and they're going to be consuming it in such an impress like a, just 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 better just well yeah whereas i went to an inner city london girls school where i think there were 32 girls in my class and i i did not you know inclusion was not at the forefront of uh, everybody's mind when i did one of my science gcses um they i had i got extra time i got my they would take the exam paper on the morning that it arrived from the examining board and they would take it to a photocopier and they would blow it up in onto an a3 piece of paper that was that was my enlarged <laughs> exam paper what's wait, what's alice doing she's taking an exam on a map <laughs> and so but of course because all they were doing was basically blowing it up it meant that like my science exams the images were all a little bit blurry and it's like yeah. i'm already struggling to see this. <laughs> um, and the one I, I particularly remember was a biology exam where they didn't have anywhere quiet to put it was such a full school we were yeah. you know this was the early 2000s and we were in a building that was built in i think 1888 and so there was nowhere to put me so they stuck me in the six form common room and went nobody talked to her she's doing an exam and within about mm. four minutes i had three really cool six because it was it was a girl's school until you got six form so i had three really like nice 17 18 year old oh hello hello sitting yeah, there going, we go. going that's what this cell is and that's what this is and i was like thank you very much like, <laughs> But um, not not the most supportive, you know. If, had I, had I been in a in a more specialist school, I think I could have answered those questions without them. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think going to a special school for me. I mean, I was there from the age of three to the age of nineteen. So that like that's like a life. That is a lifetime, really. And Sentence. I think yeah. <laughs> what. Um, I think what it did for me in the early years of my life, so from three to about, say, year six, so the, about about the time where you start to move on to your, you know, your, your GCSE years and stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Second, yeah, second, that, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Alice. It did give, because because we were all the same, you know, we got kids there, we got a range of disabilities. And to my mind, like, we'd sit in like an RE exam, somebody would be down on the floor having a seizure and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's just Louise. She's having a fit. Just She's she's fine. She'll be all right. It wasn't like a big shock. Mm. So we were able to grow up and I wasn't being self-conscious about my, the way I look, the way, you know, the way my cerebral palsy was affecting me or anything like that because we were all the same. But I think when I got to senior school year and I started to realise actually exams are coming up what what exams am i going to do how how do you cross a road how do you order from a catalog how do you iron a shirt how do you clean a toilet you think this isn't for me is it really and i think looking back now what i would have probably done is when i got to that senior school age gone can i go like and do my exams somewhere else i mean i think what we need when when you become prime minister loose is yeah. um and, and you 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 ban gravel uh yeah. I think and what, stairs. yeah and stairs yeah. what what we need yeah. to do is find that uh, that middle ground where there's yeah. classes of mixed physical and 
sort of cognitive ability children where children are engaged with by a number of adults taught everything from life skills to academic mm. subjects and supported Absolutely. to grow in the way that is right for them and is led by them and what they want not by yeah. what society thinks you know the reason that you got taught that stuff at school is because they went well she's in a wheelchair she obviously doesn't know how to cross the road and that's something we need to teach her and it's nonsense i think i did a had a bartering thing with the teacher and said if i cross the road can i go to the pub <laughs> and she was like mm, i don't know and i was like you know no i'm telling you that's what's gonna happen I'm going to cross that road and then I'm going to go to the pub. She was like, oh, yeah, all right then. Uh, <laughs> you know. yeah. I, I think education needs to be improved for everybody. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in inclusive education. Mm. And I think that should be, you know, but I think some people may need assistance within that structure. Yeah. But then, then, but then most children do, all children do. And I think that's the problem. You know, it's wrong that non-disabled children are in classes of 35. They should be in classes of 12 as well. Absolutely, uh, really should, yeah. You know, yeah. and so it, it ends up damaging everybody yeah. across the board. Yeah. And, and that that's what's wrong with it. And so it's, it's really sad because it's the kids who come from economically stable, uh, usually affluent white families who can afford to put in the extra support, the extra effort, who can pay for them to go to, um, you know, public schools and things like that. And those are the kids that are able to excel, which is why you then see, you know, the pyramid effect in wider society, because the people who have been given the opportunity to excel are the people who don't have the support needs, who have got the ability to pay for anything they're missing whereas the people at the bottom of the pile the disabled people the people on council estates the people of color the people who are first generation in this country they don't have those luxuries yeah. absolutely absolutely so you know That's my and then it affects over. what kind of <laughs> well and then it affects what kind of job you get and, exactly. and so yeah, you know yeah. i i ended up in uh well, I was unemployed for a few years, which I've, I've never minded unemployment particularly. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then I had a, got a job in the civil service as the lowest rank. I was a, I was a clerical assistant, and I worked for the army, which again was a unique experience because I was, I think I was nineteen, the lowest rank, but I worked on a, on a barracks uh, for the Royal Engineers, and it was during the time of the Falklands War as well. And being a liberal leftist, you know, kind of, uh, you know that that didn't that, that like didn't go down. <laughs> Absolutely, but I, I but I was in charge of machine guns, sandbags, oh, and oh, you tires. just sound like a badass. You just constant. No, it was, it was, you didn't funnel them away for the revolution, did you? Nah, it was. We can do was, with some machine guns right now. I think. It was a truly surreal experience. I, I stood there for two years and I used to have supervision. So so someone would, you know, in the civil service, you meet a manager once a yeah, month yeah. and talk about your job. And, and they'd go, you know, how are you doing? And I'd just go, I'm doing it to the best of my ability. <laughs> I said nothing else. And then they'd ask another question and I'd go, I'm doing it to the best of my ability. <laughs> I just couldn't care less. It was just, it was awful. So, but... <laughs> And it was it was it was just bizarre being in charge of you know sandbags, machine guns, and tires. I think I think what we're learning here, Paul, <laughs> is that you did in fact sabotage 
the uh, armed forces from the inside out and that's, <laughs> that's the reason we have the current outcome of the Falklands War. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was the bizarre thing was because I remember you know because I, I sort of I was I was young and arrogant and I I'd sort of say oh just give them give them back to Argentina I don't care <laughs> and of course some of the people wanted to drop uh, fake atom bombs on mm-hmm. them. And uh, and I remember this warrant officer standing on my desk, threatening oh to kick me in the head. Oh my god! And what? I remember, and I looked up to him, and I said, "We both know you can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> he hated even more. And so, uh, but luckily, I, after a couple of years, I broke my leg. I broke my leg, and I was in hospital for for four months, and uh, on full pay, which was quite nice. That I managed to save the civil service. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, but I met uh, my future wife there, and uh, I said I, I hated it, and she, she said, "It's a queer." So I queer, you know, got me six months full pay first, obviously, <laughs> off sick, uh, and then, I, then I quit. So I was unemployed again for another couple of years. So uh, till I went to uh, do education courses. So it was, it was, it was good to have someone who was supportive enough to say, if you don't like it quick yeah. yeah it's important yeah. i think i think everybody needs that one person in their life that goes this is making you miserable you know to recognize when you are miserable and to recognize what is making you miserable to go just just because it doesn't matter how stubborn you are sometimes you just have to go all right you win <laughs> bye and i think it's very hard it that's kind of an element of self-care that people find really difficult yeah. like literally me and lucy had a conversation this morning where she was like I'm in quite a lot of pain today. And I went, well, let's not do our meeting after recording then. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> I'd much rather you chilled out on the sofa and didn't hurt sitting in your chair than we discuss something that's not that important. Like, obviously, the podcast is important and I care about it, but... Yeah, to any potential sponsors out there. <laughs> it's not, but it's not gonna... It can, it can wait 24 hours. And I think yeah. that a lot of people with disabilities find it difficult to kind of go sometimes to go, I'm not going to fight through this. And you do need that outside person to occasionally go, what What are you doing? Why are you, why, yeah, why are you just like that warrant officer wasn't kicking you in the head, You're basically kicking yourself in the head. Why are you doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was, they were a bizarre few years uh, in the, in the army for the civil service it was just ridiculous the other funniest thing the other funny story from this the 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 major uh, quite liked me for some obscure reason perhaps i re- reminded him of something and i remember it snowed one year and he ordered all of these sappers squaddies yeah. to, to carry me <laughs> and they hate me touching me oh. and but but of course they hated it well, they, you know, I was this sort of freaky thing. and uh, But just the idea, you know, because we were all very masculine. And, and mm. an order was an order. So they had to carry me around the barracks. Which is just made it even funnier. <laughs> now, now this, this is, this, you know, reflecting on uh, on your academic specialism, Paul, this is a film I'd watch. I would watch being amazing. I'm on the phone to Warner Brothers now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How much snow was there on the ground? Was it like a little bit where you could have gone, actually, I'm fine? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh god, yeah, it wasn't much because you know, because I because I, I used to walk, walk. I did a bit on crutches as well in those days. Yeah. So. I I and I did, I could just say it was damp and I'd want to be carried because <laughs> it, it annoyed them so much like, and they they were they and and it, and it, again being a liberal leftist that I am you know working with the army they they were all waiting to get to Northern Ireland and shoot people and all that kind of stuff uh, because they, that's what they've been trying to do it wasn't like anything unusual but it was like the antithesis of everything that I had been brought up to believe as a as a leftist liberal winger. Uh, so it was it was not very good but then when when we quit uh claire quit her job as well because she was a nurse and she got a bit of a bad back so we applied for jobs all over the country because we lived in in a really posh bit of surrey although we was in a council flat with my dad uh we ended up with a job in wolverhampton running an old people's home which again was i think we were there for a couple of years and this sounds awful, but I think it had 60 people. Half of them died in the two years we were there oh, uh, because this place had been left to rack and ruin for years. Mm. They not had a, a warden, which Claire was. We, we took it because there was accommodation with it. And most of the people in this place actually should have been in, uh, in, in long-term care even. There were people with severe dementia who were sort of living independently uh and claire had to go around and collect the rent and, and it was a way of getting out of the south because it was very expensive and so going to 30 funerals in a couple of years that that did claire's in head in much yeah. as much as mine you know you, you we used to go away for a weekend and it would be kind of like who's going to be dead when we get back <laughs> do you know uh, I and know it was just awful it was it, just when terrible. i i've i've touched on this very briefly in, in previous episodes of the podcast but when I was at school because of the nature of the, the fact that we were all disabled um, it got to a stage where I think one year we must have lost about seven or eight people yeah. in one term and it really up until that point I was like yeah it's fine I've got a disability do you know what <laughs> I mean and nothing really upset me very much about it really because it was just i was very matter of fact about it but since then it, it, after that sort of term of i've got to go to another funeral another funeral you shouldn't at that age of about 15 16 have gone to more funerals than you have school reunions or school discos really that's how um awful it became and it, it, it did sort of change me as a, a person because you thought oh okay this is a bit this is a bit scary i didn't oh this wasn't in the script um where you know nobody nobody warned me about this because no you, that's the thing you don't as disabled people you don't sit around going do you know when you're gonna die because <laughs> your condition got worse you don't do that do you really well it's where i got my dread of death actually particularly yeah. wednesday wednesday nights in winter i dread because that's when people died at school uh which was really bizarre but i but yeah. but then the the advantage of what of that was that i learned to wiggle my ears so uh yeah, wiggle your ears. i did yeah because i remember there was someone who'd been ill and whatever and i remember saying to the to the nurse you know what what's happened to susan and of course the answer was you'll find out in assembly tomorrow <laughs> and and when you, when you when you when you get a thing that and i've got my stomach's got because <laughs> <laughs> i like <laughs> when you when you have that fear of dread you, you yeah. your face drops 
And I noticed that every time, I, if I could do that, my ears would wiggle. So I can wiggle my own ears because of the people that died at school. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one. Not much of, of an advantage. It, yeah, I was going to say it's quite quite the memorial you've got there. It's <laughs> <laughs> Paul coming to the funeral. I wanted to wiggle the wiggle yeah. his ears when I die. But it was it it was that moment where I I felt what my face was doing of mm. the kind of that utter dread of what you were being told. It is that and... pit of your stomach sort of churning, isn't it? That that yeah. uh, you re it's really hard to describe what it feels like. But I can remember we used you know, you'd go into school in the morning after you know, somebody had passed away and it was just a horrible, horrible atmosphere. Yeah. Horrible atmosphere. And, you know, I don't think people appreciate when I sort of tell you know, tell them what I went through. They're like oh my that is because i mean they they went to a mainstream school and the worst that ha happened was somebody got there was an outbreak of a flu or or a cold um i don't think people quite get their head around it really and you and you them. had and you had staff going it's for the best and you're thinking mm. no it isn't no <laughs> no that's no, not it's... for the death is not for the best for anybody no you know especially no. my friends so uh it was it was a surreal experience. So so then we moved to Wolverhampton. I've lived in Wolverhampton for about knocking on forty years, I suppose. Thirty eight years. So and Wolverhampton is very different to Surrey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you gathered. So, uh, and again, it was the peak of unemployment. So the locals when we we lived in a place called Bilston and the, the old people's home and. and they weren't too keen on people from Surrey coming up to take to, to mm. take their jobs in quotes, uh, mm. despite the fact that this job had been empty for five years. Nobody wanted it, and it was a nightmare. It was neither here nor there. So, uh, but it, it 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 was the best thing we ever did because it got me into an access course. I did a computer course. I ended up going to university. The, well, it was a polytechnic then, and I did uh, a degree in English and history. I actually started in politics and economics. But economics was just so shit. It was just <laughs> awful, and uh, and it's funny because most of the theories I remember have all been debunked now. As well. <laughs> and, and then I did an MA. Claire went to do a degree as well, so I was the first in my family ever to do a degree. Claire was the first one outside of her father ever to do a degree, and so and then I did an MA in American Lit at Keele, which was the best course I've ever done. And then I fell into doing a, a PhD, so in, in discipline in cinema. But the, the MA was, the reason that was good is because there were only two of us doing it. And again, this right. is how education has changed. That will be dropped now and it would never exist. Mm, no. doing it. And, and you had to read between three and five, five novels a week. Things like Moby Dick, which is enormous. And so and you five you, a week. Yeah, I couldn't do, do that, and I am voracious reader. You had to do the work, oh. and I think it was the only thing where I you had to, you couldn't hide, no. and that's what made it so good. Uh, yeah. You know, it was. I remember I did French cinema on, on my first degree, and there was 80, 90 people in the class. Half of you hid at the back, and you never needed to say a word. Mm. But when there's two of you, mm. you had to have an opinion. You had to have yeah, done research. Yeah. You yeah. had to have read the book. And it was it was by far the best thing I ever did. It's yeah. a bit like going to a book club and not reading the book and just going, mm, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it just yeah. doesn't work, does it? Yeah. Um, if there's only two of you in the book club, 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's more of a, do you, want, do you want to go down the pub for a pint, isn't it? Rather than a, let's talk about this book. Um, so, Paul, you touched upon there about your, uh, d- the, your degree in uh, disability in cinema. Yep. Is that, was that, is that something that's always interested you? Is, is that, you know, what picked yeah, your interest you really? from American Lit to disability cinema? Because, I, you know, I can see the connection, but it's, it's not a straight line. It's, you know, it's a parallel jump. Absolutely. I, I, I'd always loved cinema. And I think when mm. I got when when I did my first degree, you people tend to do degrees that they think are going to help them get a job rather yeah. than something they'll enjoy. Oh, you see, I uh, did it the other way around. I did a master's degree in film and disability and uh, and it could not help me get any jobs. So I'm now like, damn it, I should have done social work. <laughs> well, I, I, I qualified as a social worker in the middle of my PhD as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did well, that dark the... Superman. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I did that for the money, but that's another thing. So uh, <laughs> you, you used to get a really big grant in it. But my, I'd, I'd always grown up loving cinema. Dad, my father was a... A cinema projectionist after the first world after after the second world war so i grew up with his love of cinema and so yeah. and i think when i wanted to go and do the phd i thought i'll go and do cinema and of course then the thing i'd started to get interested around that era which is about you know 89 90 was disability and i thought yeah you know and there was nothing nothing existed on it at that point mm. apart from a couple of very short pamphlets I think it was one by Colin Barnes. There wasn't much. It was occasional articles and whatever. And so it was a nice little opening. And, and of course, when you when you go to do a PhD, which I did at Warwick under the legendary Professor Richard Dyer, and wow. it was a really nice guy. I didn't know you did it under Richard Dyer. That's impressive. It was, and he was he was a, he was a truly great guy, and and he he was in the best supervisor you could have ever really? had. And uh, it was about coming up with being original. And again, yeah. because I, and I, I put that back to having gone to the special school, I could be original. I didn't, I hadn't been taught how to think in a straight line. You could no. go off at all these different angles. Yeah. Uh, and so, and again, because his stuff was uh, gay cinema. So there was a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. And then there was, you know, you, I did it at Warwick with, with a whole load of the kind of key people, Perkins, Vincendo and, Dyer and all those kind of people, so it was in a it was in a truly great place, and so you, you, you know I went in once every four or five weeks, mate, and we'd discuss you know what we'd seen for a couple of hours. The, the saddest thing was is I remember I started to collect films on VHSs off the telly. I record them off the telly, and because people would say you know what what you're doing, there aren't many films about disability. But of course, one of the arguments I came up with is is that actually, from my collection proved it, it's in almost every film ever made, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands. They're often minor characters, but quite pivotal, yeah. and you just you just don't notice them yeah. because they're so common. So that their their invisibility is their visibility, yeah. and, uh, and so I I ended up with thousands and thousands of VHS videos of all these bloody movies. <laughs> so it was. Uh, I mean, when I did my MA, and we are talking 2009, 2010, because I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, even then, the key text I was reading was um, uh, is this Martin Norton? 
Norden. Norden. Yep. Yeah. And and you. So <laughs> it's really. I mean, it's. I look at the people who are doing disability history and disability cinema and stuff now, and I think mm. looking at Twitter and looking at the 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 wealth of interest and learning that is out there now, even in the 10 years it's been since I got my MA has really changed because I think there was a lot of work done by people like you and your peers to kind of go, actually, this is, this is everywhere. And it doesn't have this to be a film yeah. where the whole thing is about disability, because actually that's one of the kind of the, the key things is that, that there may be a minor character, but the way that that disability is presented and the fact that perhaps they're only a secondary character whose role, you know, whose kind of purpose and function is to... Uh, Support and make the, the lead character look... Or, yeah, or to, to kind of twist the narrative in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Sort of fluffing their ego. That, and That says a lot. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. it was, but it was, it was, it was interesting. And, and again, I got, I got a lot of stuff out of it. You know, a lot of work and stuff, which travelled all over Europe doing film festivals. There used to be a German disability film festival called Vivo Lieben, uh, the way we live, which I was a jury member of in in like ninety six or something. And that was, and there was some fantastic stuff. So I used to go to Paris and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, it uh, academia wasn't for me because I, mm. I remember I, I wrote a book review once and I wasn't very nice because I didn't like the book <laughs> and, and and I regretted it I really regretted it because it's kind of like well somebody's put their heart and soul into this you know just because I don't like it what's my right to criticize it and uh, you know everybody has a right to say whatever they want and of course and then the person who wrote it died not long after either so that, that and I thought this isn't for me because it's quite harsh. It's quite, it's quite an it's aggressive, very, yeah, combative, yeah, and every absolutely. every man for themselves. We yeah. I've said that said that we talked about this in other episodes. We had a um, autistic uh, academic on, and yeah, I I mean I gave up on my PhD because it was too, it was too hard because it was everybody was. You know, when you've got disability and you need a little bit of extra support, when mm. you're surrounded by people who are putting themselves first because that's the, you know, environment and the consciousness of that kind of environment, you just get, you don't get supported. Absolutely. And and I had no formal education from being know. in special schools. So you, you're always at the back, like grammar and spelling and all those kind yeah. of things. Did you, you try know, to stab anybody? I feel like that might have I was usually the victim of stabbing, so. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, just use what you know, that's all. <laughs> no, I mean, both me and Alice have, I think, we, we didn't have very good experiences at university, did we? Mm. Um, my I bachelor's was, was good. I, I, yeah. I loved my bachelor's, but that's because I went out dancing with my friends all the time. I, not because of what I was doing. Um, you know, I was bullied quite severely um, by both the other students on the course and my lecturer, who was of the belief that, well, I don't know what you're doing here kind of thing, because you're never going to amount to anything. And then I went to get my first job out of university was at the BBC. So, my, you know, 
it was a big two fingers up to them really um and there was a there was a bit of me that was like do i just give up do i just give in and uh, and sort of jack this all in and forget about it but I'm, I'm so glad i didn't um and it is it's just being that you know that academic environment can get very poisonous can't it and and it can push you to your limits if you're not careful well especially if it's combined with physical issues you know like when i went yeah. to all of the places i went to physical access was nominal if if at all particularly yep. in the polytechnic to the extent that the polytechnic is based in Wolverhampton since I was there has been completely demolished and rebuilt really? it was it was that inaccessible mm. and, and Keele I went to Keele that was pretty inaccessible I went to Birmingham when I qualified as a social worker that was pretty dreadful as well Warwick was all right because I knew where to park and I knew where to go and I just met my, my, my one supervisor etc and so I quite liked Warwick, and again, because I didn't have to go all the time, that was a no. <laughs> bonus. Uh, but I think it's the psychological, you could probably cope if you didn't have the physical, or you could yep. cope with the physical if you didn't have the psychological. And so it, 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 it tends to be a struggle, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, particularly as disabled people, in, in, in navigating that, that inaccessibility, often of the people you're dealing with. And, you know, young people they're better than they always ever been but actually you know they're busy getting on with their own lives to give a shit about what you do uh and rightly so because actually yeah, it's, the yeah. it's the institution's responsibility yeah. To, yeah. to make those kind of changes so uh but so since 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 i finished the phd i i i, I was involved in setting up the west midlands disability arts forum i was director of that for a few years uh, outside centre, you know, we've put on art exhibitions by disabled people because we work on a kind of disability art model, which you can talk about in a minute if you want. Yeah. And so that that's what I've been doing sort of most of the time since, you know, outside centre has been going for like 20, 22 years, I think. And so I've been involved in that doing filmmaking. We put, we put, we promote shows, put on shows by people with learning difficulties uh everything art exhibitions we run a couple of film festivals in wolverhampton at the lighthouse uh disability film festivals that were really good we were the first to start to include archive film of disability uh which others have now copied uh, but yeah. we were the first actually <laughs> so we had a link with um, mace the midlands archive for central england so we got film from literally 1909 of of uh, people of short stature at football matches right up to people driving invalid cars in the 50s and you know documentaries that were on in the 50s and 60s about individuals and and so real archive footage which was which was the thing i'm proudest about is that we brought that to the forefront actually mm. in wolverhampton in doing that because and again it's fascinating to see archive footage because it's almost it could be made today you know there's there's films about people driving cars and the problems they're having that are just exactly the same then as they are now and it was that that was i think that was one of the best things we ever did was, was the, we did two disability film festivals both with archive and uh, they were they were great things it sounds like a fantastic thing and the outside center that's where i found your details paul originally to get in touch with you way back when and i can remember I think I came back from college in a flat. My mum was like, I found this website. And I was reading, I was like, this sounds amazing. I want to be part of that club. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I've said this before, 
that when I was at um, university and I realised that actually, that even though I love the media and I love making films and things like that, that that the reason why there was so mis so much misunderstanding about disability was partly down to the fact that the way media portrays disabled people that was quite heartbreaking for me i was like but but i but i love this this art form and, and they're just being absolute bastards really towards the whole disability thing you think that's not fair that's not you know that and the amount of times opportunity is missed to show a realistic representation of disability and it just breaks my heart every time that it's got to the stage now where you see a disabled person on on the telly and you're like are they are they like are they actually disabled or is it somebody playing at it mm -hmm. um is it was quite you know i was like i came away from college and university feeling really disappointed that i I wasn't represented. I didn't feel represented enough in in this art form that I love to to be be part of, really. And and that's why I think a lot of disabled people like the most awful depictions of ourselves because a, a you're seeing yourself, which is which is not that common. Uh, it's common, but it's not that usual in the sense of it of being yeah. realistic. But equally, I think the most awful representations are often the best because you can think, so that's why they treat me like they treat me. Yeah. You, you yeah. can almost get reassurance from seeing a representation and thinking, they hate them. Uh, that explains why they don't like me, why they're marginalising me, why they're persecuting me, why they're yeah. discriminating against me. And, and I, I think that was, that, was, that was a good thing to see and try to understand. But, but I loved going to the cinema and... and you know, doing the PhD was, was quite difficult because you go to watch a film just for fun and then a yeah. disabled person would turn up and you think, oh, <laughs> shit. Why couldn't, they not, why couldn't they not have any in this film? I just want to watch a film with no disability in because I'm going to be interpreting it, reading it and all that kind of stuff. Just just don't have any disabled people in this film, please. <laughs> but then there always was. So, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fascinating. What do you think is one of the best films that you've seen surrounding disability Paul either in the mainstream or or independent or well I, I always say the best one is one that ha that's political intelligent clever and funny and I will always go back to Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks mm -hmm. Mel, Mel Brooks knows what he's doing as, as, as a Jewish creator and he knows about discrimination marginalization stigma identity and I think in creating uh, the young young Frankenstein, uh, he plays with it in a way. He plays with the the genre stereotype. So there's a great scene in it with Gene Hackman, who's uncredited, uh, which plays on all the scenes of uh, cinema's treatment of people with visual impairment, and it is a truly great scene because it's playing with it. It's very funny. It, it's it's not laughing at it's laughing at the audience saying this is what you expect this is more like what it could be you know the the main hunchback's hunch keeps changing side and <laughs> uh, and things like that and and he knows you can tell there's great intelligence behind it and i think and it's a comedy it's funny it makes you think uh so i i always bizarrely say young frankenstein you know i think when you've done the film festivals there's always short films that you come across i remember there was one called fred 
which was at the German display, if it was an American film that won an award, uh, Fred, which was about a guy with spina bifida, so I really liked it. You know, he he walked on crutches, which uh, which was really good. But that 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 you've got, I think you've got to try and take out of films something positive, even if it is is ah oh, that explains why they think about us like that. Uh, even the most awful ones, I think, can do yeah. that. I, yeah. I tend the worst are obviously kind of what what we call inspirational porn. They're the worst. Uh, and there's there's a growing number of them because I do a film podcast with a couple of other uh, disabled film buffs, uh, academics indeed. Two, one of them is the primary film uh, academic, in my view, Alison Wilde, and Miro Griffiths, who's at the Disability Studies Unit. So we do a film podcast where we look at disability in cinema, and it, it's fascinating because we see lots of stuff that people wouldn't normally see, and you you know. Look on our website, www.digital-disability.com. Got to get the plug in. Uh, the <laughs> we'll put the link in our, uh, yeah. our description for the podcast. Yeah. So the, and so we like there's a new film out actually called Best Summer Ever. Have you heard of that one? You should. Uh... It's in, made entire. It's the cast is almost entirely disabled, and it tries to create a fantasy world of like school and camps where disability is 100% not an issue. Right. Uh, there's we're going to do that one next. I should listen to that because there's there's problems with it. There's good things about it, but there's serious problems with it. Uh, uh, but it's fascinating to see. I think you can watch it on Netflix or Amazon now. Actually, okay. Best I'll, summer I'll, ever. I'll it's, have a look. It's unique and interesting, and uh, so I, I recommend check, checking that one out and listening to the podcast after. So. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's but, uh, it's always great to get other people's opinions. Though, you know what what films they they like about disability and things. Because for, for me, I I like a superhero film. I was thinking about this the other day. Like I know that superhero films are tend to a penny, and that people get sick of them because there's so many of them now. But I was thinking, I wonder why it is, and particularly the X Men films and. I'm like, well, well, you know, I was thinking the other day, well, why is it that I like those sorts of films? And I think it's because that particularly the X-Men films. So these these are a bunch of people that the society thinks there is something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Something happens. They get taken in by some guy in a wheelchair, which that isn't the reason I like it. But this this guy in a wheelchair takes them in, looks after them enhances their skills and then like the world ends and then who do they call oh they call the misfits who yeah. you know everybody thinks there's something wrong with them and what do we do we save the world i think that's why i, I think, like about it i i talked about the x-men in my ma because class i think a lot of people particularly because it's um the ones that were uh, directed by brian singer is considered to be yeah. very uh, you know it's, it's gay cinema um, especially that is it the third one where it's all about conversion um, and cures um, mm. but I think you know there is a big thing to be looked at with those films because actually a lot of those X-Men have got physical differences some of which you can yeah. see some of which you can't mm. um, that you know cross across their um, their lives and I remember talking in my MA about uh, 
the character of Rogue, who mm-hmm. she's got, I can't remember, her, her power, if she touches people, something happens, she steals their life force or something. <laughs> and um, there's people screaming at me at the moment for not quite getting that right. Um, but she... I had, nurse, I, I had nurses at school like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she... And there's a there's an interesting discussion in that film about her decision to actually want to get a cure and get her power taken away from her because for her it isolates her. It means that she can't have intimate relationships with people. And you know, I think within the disability community, there's I was just a, about to say the same thing. There's a lot of you know that that is very reflected that there are some people who would choose to explore treatments and cures for their disabilities because it causes them pain or it makes them feel socially isolated um yep. you know so it is i think that those films there's a lot of very interesting stuff to i, I also can understand why it's then been very kind of picked up and championed by the lgbtq community yeah, um completely but i think also it's also that's also more evidence of the fact that i think that there's a huge overlap in minority community identification it's the uh yep. exclusion element of it so yeah. absolutely that and, that and the fact that iron man is just cool and i want to be <laughs> i want an iron man suit to be fair oh, you see, i i i want to marry captain america He's boring. He's the boring one. He's so boring. I don't care. He's so, He's so I handsome. Don't, I, I was going to say I don't think it's about his personality, no. is it? <laughs> you He's, mean, he's so, really nice. He's got yeah, a very really... nice dog. So that, that's enough. That... <laughs> that's enough. That's enough, isn't it, Alice? Really? Oh, you uh, yeah, but a man and a dog. The character of Captain America is a boring arsehole, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Yeah. I think we're going to have a falling out loose. You're kind of sponsors there, aren't you, with that kind of language? We're going to have a falling out loose. <laughs> I've got nothing against Chris Evans, though. Chris Evans is fine. It's just his character. Um, but, yeah, I think, that, I think that is why, you know, that is the reason why I particularly like a superhero film. Because there is this element of, yeah, you think you, if that, if I think, does it come, maybe it comes from um, having people constantly throughout my life thinking she's not good enough because she's in a wheelchair. And then, well, actually, when it push comes to shove and you really need somebody to save the day, step forward, the, the disabled, you know, or the people that are different, because actually you don't know what you're doing, stand aside, please. It's that kind of. It is that level of, yeah, you're going to need us one day. Yeah, well, and they are, and they're going to they're going to regret when they get rid of all of us. But I, I think <laughs> often the most mainstream of Hollywood cinema actually has quite radical ideas at the heart of them, and I think some of the superhero movies do that about you know difference, identity, you know, marginalisation, you know, what 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 society, what community is about including everybody supporting one another. And often you get that in, in some of the most mainstream mm-hmm. movies, such as the X-Men movies. And that, that yeah. that's fascinating because people, but then the problem is, is people, I think it used to be called the intentional fallacy, is that people people don't read things like no. you've made them to mean. And, yeah. and so I think 
the, the to me the problem with superhero movies although they do incredibly have the most radical stuff in it they enable you also to ignore it uh, and and that that's one of the conflicts in looking looking at cinema and enjoying cinema mm. that was always the thing that interested me about um cinema and when i studied it was was the kind of difference between the things that the narrative and the character tells you and the things that perhaps the the visual production the way a shot is set up um the way you know the different conflicting messages that you get from that so you might have a character who has you know progressive ideas about x y and z but they and maybe by the end of the film they are seen to be you know the narrative says this person is happy they've got what they want but then when you look at the construction of the film throughout the film they've been saying what makes people happy and what people want is relationships and this person's ended Mm. up alone things like that i think those those are the things that are the kind of insidious ways that those uh, dangerous kind of ideas get really... Absolutely. But I, I think equally, it's people's people's minds give them the ability. One of the great, great creative joys of humanity is that it can interpret something in front of it that, that people can interpret in a way that no one else on earth can interpret mm. it in that way. And they can do that with with real conviction and validation mm. of everything they think about it. And I think cinema is, is is the great battle between culture and society, uh meaning and death and life. And and that's what's great about cinema. Mm. You know? I think that that's why I love cinema. So because it's all there. Uh, that ability to, to to be incredibly powerful, but equally so that someone else can see it as just rubbish. And uh, yeah. it's, it's that's what's amazing about cinema. I mean, and I think as well, it's got you've got the you've got the opportunity, haven't you? Everybody's got a film that's stuck with them. Um, so if you do disability right in cinema, you would hope that th- that film sticks with somebody, a group of mm. people. But then they can go, actually, I saw, a f-, you know, before I saw that film, I thought X, Y, Z. And now I've seen that film and it's made me realise that my my belief was wrong. I mean, I'm not saying cinema can change the world, but it can definitely change it. It can inform and ent- in, it, so it can change individual lives. You know, I think <laughs> a good example of that is me, which is really bizarre. because It wasn't a disability film. One of the most pivotal films was mm. Chariots of Fire. I don't know if you've ever mm. seen Chariots of Fire. It's about the runners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched that, and that made me do certain things. I went out. I started walking. I started getting fit. I started getting healthy, uh, which then meant I broke my leg. <laughs> I then met my wife. Uh, I then started getting unhealthy and fat again. But actually, <laughs> having watched Chariots of Fire, I probably hadn't seen that. That was quite instrumental in changing my yeah. life. Well, yeah, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have met your wife, would you, if you think about it? If you absolutely. go further down that line. Absolutely. You know. I, I, there, was, there was something else. In, in, when I broke my leg and I was in hospital for four and a half months, uh, which, again, was just bizarre because my brother had broke his leg a few years before and the doctor who tried to pin it was drunk and managed <gasps> to end up. Oh, my God. Uh, and he ended up losing his foot. Uh, my brother lost his foot because of that. And so when I went in with a broken leg, they were terrified to touch me. So I was on traction for four and a half months. But 
I ended up in, in, in a bed next to someone else on a public ward who was he who really did change my life. He was an American psychologist from Texas and he basically gave me therapy about every aspect of my life, every day, all day for six weeks. <laughs> he's still one of my best friends i still see him he, he's like 85 now and uh it, that luck and i think often as a disabled person your luck can change on a six yeah. months you know if i hadn't have watched charity's fight if i hadn't have been broken my leg if my brother hadn't have lost his leg if i hadn't have then been in this bed next to this other guy who really did change my entire perspective and view of life because mm -hmm. he was such a professional and such a good guy uh, and an inspiration that it's and i think that's the thing i take away from being a disabled person where your life goes can change on a sixpence and it's about trying to be open to that moment that sixpence that you can flip it on and make it better for you uh and and i think that's to me to me is the key because one of the things he, he taught me was is that you're absolutely right. It should be better out there, but it isn't. No. And so it's about what I do. You've got to make the best of it. That. And yeah. You've got to, yeah, you, you've you got do. to try and have the life, live the life, think the life that you want. That doesn't stop any of that not being wrong because it is wrong. It is evil. And that's what we should strive for. But actually at that often at particular moments, that's not going to change. It is no. about me. But equally, I don't want to make it about the individuals because I'm a big believer in politics. And so that we've got to fight for that all the time. But it, it, it hasn't changed. It isn't going to change in the short term. And I think it's important for people's kind of self-esteem and self-worth to not get... It can be really disheartening to go, I've been fighting and fighting and fighting and nothing has changed in the big, huge 7 billion people in the world sense. But yeah. actually, on a one-to-one -one sense, it might have. And that's really yeah. important to recognise. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you, if you can do the best you can in your little corner of the world, you know, um, and, and make the best of... My mum has got a phrase that she says all the time, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. That's what she says. And she's right. You know, I always say my, my life didn't turn out how... I any of us in my family would have planned mm. but it doesn't mean to say that I've got a terrible life in fact I quite like my life thank you very much you know and and I only have to look back to the time where I first met you Paul and you know I I didn't know what I was doing what I was going to do with my life I was going through t periods of time at college and university where I'd got um outside sources saying you know you're not going to be very good at this because you know you're not the same as everybody else you're not going to be very good and you look at now and what i've managed to achieve since i've known you paul it's it's i struggle some days and i think this is really hard going i'm really struggling and that but then i look back a few years later and i think blimey what i have managed to achieve and i think it does people good doesn't it to just take a step back and reflect as to what we've managed to i mean with with this podcast me and alice we never in a million years imagined that this podcast would be so popular really mm. i think i think we just thought we'd be wanging on about disability and sorry just had to knock on wood there <laughs> um 
we we don't we would be wanging on about disability and people would get bored but it touch wood i'm touching wood now as well um i don't you know i think it's taken us both by surprise hasn't it really yeah well i think there's an appetite there's an appetite for it because yeah there there still isn't that much by for and about us you know and i think that that's the key and equally it is about being supportive because again the individual is important but actually the more important thing is is supporting one another Mm -hmm. And, and and to some extent i'm a great believer that you should do that blindly you know i again coming back to there are factions within disability studies etc mm-hmm. you know these people are traitors and these people are saying it's all kind of thing. and again it doesn't stop it being true but actually i'm a great believer everybody has their own path and you've got to support them on their path till they get where they're going to go on that path and that, that's the most important thing i think it's just yeah you're completely right there paul complete as ever as ever <laughs> <laughs> Paul, um, I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on, Alice, before we... I don't think so. No? no. I think that's, a re- that's been a really uh, great episode yeah. to, to listen to. Paul, where can we? Um, where can people find you online with things? I know you've mentioned your podcast. It, Do you want to give it another plug? It, it's, it's all on www.digital-disability.com. Everything's on there. I think my PhD's on there. Uh, the podcasts are on there, all the other audio stuff, some of, some of the art, uh, everything is on there. So just just go to that one, www.digital-disability.com. It's all on there. Fabulous. We'll put a link in our episode descriptions for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul, today. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, speak to you again, and I hope that we won't leave it as long. Well, I won't leave it as long next Indeed. time. I've, in, I've enjoyed coffee. it and thank you for having me thank you very much for coming on Paul thank you Paul thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast if you like the show please rate, review and subscribe you can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast uh, thanks go to our editor Adam Hall our music composer Maisie Crunden and our graphic designer Sarah Coley we'll, we'll see, see you next time, time.